by the third day, things start getting scary. The anxiety starts, a little paranoia even. And that, that one, the, the worst mania I ever had, then you yeah, had the delusional thoughts set in. Welcome to The Depression Files, where you'll hear interviews of men who have struggled with depression. We talk about everything related to mental health, from depression and other mental illnesses, to medication, to suicide awareness and prevention, to our current mental health system, and of course, to the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. I believe that sharing stories is one of the best ways to chip away at the stigma. I also believe that sharing stories helps to educate those who may know little about mental illnesses while giving hope to those who may be suffering. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. All right, I want to welcome Dan Crocker to the show. Uh, Dan, uh, thank you for, uh, for connecting with me. I'm excited that you're on the show tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to be on. Why don't we uh, start by just uh, having you share a bit about yourself? Uh, well, I live in Missouri. I'm a poet and a uh, college professor. Um, I'm bipolar. And so I have had both extremes of uh, extreme depression to extreme mania. So maybe that's a little different perspective than what you usually get, but... I've definitely know the depression, the, the depressive side. Yeah, it's interesting. Quite a few guys on the show actually have been diagnosed with bipolar. Yeah. And your diagnosis for bipolar is fairly new, isn't it? About a year. Yeah, I was 43 when I got diagnosed. There was a time I was in grad school and I was prescribed an SSRI Lexapro for uh, depression and anxiety. And it made me totally manic right. and my doctor said that's a sign you're bipolar but I was in grad school and I was like I don't have time for this I'm and I was like no I don't think so but of course I was and then yeah about a year ago it things started getting a little worse which I've read can happen in your 40s and I just needed to go I needed to go the, the, to the doctor so I did and that was my diagnosis yeah that uh, you know that seems to me to be coming a, a fairly common story that I hear where people originally get a diagnosis of depression. They get treated for the depression and it throws them into a high mania because they actually have bipolar. Yeah, because they're getting the wrong SSRIs aren't good for bipolar. It's yeah. just the wrong, wrong medication. I know they save some people's lives, but right. And then some people, uh, maybe they, maybe they've even gone through some manias. Do you think, and not even really realized it? But the depression hits hard, and that is clearly something going on. I think so. Yeah, especially if you're bipolar too, and it's like hypomania. So it's a lot of energy. Maybe you're not sleeping well, but you're not getting delusional or anything. So it's easier to brush that off than it is the depression, which can get very deep. Right, and up until last year. You had no signs, no symptoms of any kind of mental illness, you don't think? Any kind of anxiety? Oh, no. I had I had plenty of signs. I just uh, put it off going to, the, going to the doctor, I guess. Because I kept telling myself I could handle it myself. Yeah, very um, common. Very yeah. common. I think I read that uh, the average person with depression doesn't uh, reach out for help for about 10 years they live with it. So how long do you think you were masking it and just getting by? Oh, probably since my early 20s, so 20 years maybe. 
And looking um, back, what what kind of signs and symptoms did you have? Well, uh, the ups and downs, of course. Um, the self-medication, which I think a lot of people go through. Um, anxiety. I probably had my first anxiety attack at about 16 uh, years old. Uh, and I got treated for that starting at about 19, I guess. Uh, but there's a whole, you know, when you're bipolar, there's a whole bunch of symptoms that go in together. So for me, it's mania, depression, anxiety, and OCD are probably the four big ones. Mm. Um, what uh, Do you recall going through that panic attack at age 16? I mean, is that still kind of vivid in your mind? It is. My very first one, I thought I was having a heart attack or something. I uh, I was laying on the couch at my parents' house watching some TV, and I fell asleep, and I woke up with just this feeling where it felt like it felt it felt like you're walking down a dark alleyway, and someone jumps out and says "boo," and you get that adrenaline rush, but mm-hmm. except it just doesn't stop, and you just feel scared for no reason. Right. Um, yeah, it was freaky. I thought, and then, you know, my heart was kind of pounding and I thought I was having some kind of heart problems. Yeah. Oh, at 16, I'm sure a panic attack wasn't on your radar. Oh, no, <laughs> not at all. Yeah. yeah. Did you reach out for help then, like your parents or anybody? No. Uh, I didn't really have the kind of parents you would talk to that about, I guess. Okay. Um, even though, Even though I think they would have been understanding, it was just not on the radar mm. i guess that you might be depressed or or have anxiety or whatever and if you did they would probably be sympathetic but say you know buck it up right um so i was probably 19 or 20 before i went to the doctor and my first doctor told me i think it's anxiety but i was having such physical symptoms from it i i couldn't believe it i was like there's no way that my mind is causing chest pains right. and and etc but of course that is exactly what it was mm. um so i went through a stress test and everything and they finally said look we went through all the tests it's anxiety here's some ativan and i was like okay and that was at age 19 yeah about 19 and that was just the family doctor General, uh, general doctor? Yeah, just a general practitioner. Uh-huh. And then, so you started on Ativan, which if I'm correct, is somewhat like a Valium type of medicine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's in the same family as a Klonopin and a Xanax and that kind of thing. Right, right. So, and were you taking that throughout the day then? Or mostly evening to get you to sleep? Or how how much were you taking? I was taking it as needed, so when I felt the anxiety come up, I would take it. Um, I know they don't like to prescribe those much anymore because they can be addictive, but it, for me, it worked so well, I never wanted to abuse it. So right. like, even when I was having anxiety, I wouldn't take it unless it got really bad hmm. because, because it worked so well, and I didn't want that to wear off. And I'm guessing if it's take as needed, it must work pretty darn quickly as well. Yeah, yeah, it works within 20 or 30 minutes usually. Okay. Oh, awesome. So you got Ativan at age 19, and then from there, tell us what, what happened next in this uh, path of mental illness. Well, I just, um, 
I've always been pretty high functioning for a, for a bipolar person, I guess. And I went to school. I worked. I had my depression and my ups and downs. And over the years, my wife, my wife even said a couple times, uh, because she works in the mental health field, she was like, maybe you might be bipolar. Um, what did you think when she first said that? I thought maybe she was right, but I thought I could deal with it because at the time I could, mm-hmm. frankly, um, for the most part. Um, the depressive episodes, not always easy to deal with for for me or for my wife. Uh, those are probably the worst. Because mm. uh, you, I mean, you've probably been there. You don't feel like getting out of bed even some sometimes. Right. And so your wife mentioned possible. What What does your wife do? Um, she's a. She was at that time. She was a psychiatric aide. Now she works with uh, autistic adults. Okay. So she works in the field of mental illness and mental health and those types of disabilities. So she's pretty knowledgeable. And uh, so she told you you might have bipolar. You decide, I'm just going to deal with it. And when you said you could just deal with it and you were, are you referencing back to the self-medicating? Because I would argue that that may not really be uh, taking (laughs) care of it in the best way. No, I think you're probably right. I I was not taking care of it in a healthy way. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I was taking care of it in an unhealthy way. Yeah. And like you said, it impacts your wife too, right? Yes. Yeah, um, definitely. So when did you decide to go back uh, to a doctor again then? Uh, and had you been using Ativan all this time from 19 to 40, age 43? No, I actually stopped taking that um, at one point because it can make you a little more depressed. Mm. And... Um, my first doctor, uh, actually, I, I was wrong that before. My first doctor told me to take two a day, and which was probably too much. And so I was getting a little depressed, so I stopped taking them. Maybe five, six years later, I went back to the doctor, and I got Klonopin, I think. Uh, it was in grad school, early, well, mid-30s. When I finally went to a doctor and I did, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm drinking too much. I'm self-medicating too much. You know, I'm anxious. I get depressed. I get these, I get whatever. And he gave me Lexapro and that was what sent me into mania. Mm, and that's when that's he right. suggested I was probably bipolar. Yeah. Right. Did, uh, so along the way while you're, uh, getting medication to help you, get through were you doing anything else was there any um did you see a therapist at all or ever enter a any kind of partial hospitalization program or any of those types of resources no but i i I came close uh i did see a therapist i did start seeing a therapist in grad school uh which was kind which was kind of helpful but this was still before my bipolar died after i got after I got diagnosed as bipolar and accepted it, things got a lot better because mm-hmm. I was able to get on the right kind of medication. Um, but I did see it. I did see a talk therapist and that, that was helpful. Um, but mostly uh, it was a lot of beer. Yeah. I think, and especially in my youth. Right. Right. Um, How about now? Do you see a therapist now? I see a psychiatrist. Yeah. Okay. Well, a psychiatrist who helps you out with the meds, no talk therapy at all or anything or does the no 
Not at the moment, but I'm I've been thinking about it. Uh-huh. Um, especially to help uh, with some of the anxiety and OCD stuff that the medication doesn't always help with. Right. Right. Um, the medication I'm on now keeps my mood stable. Okay. How how does uh, OCD manifest itself in you? Mostly in my mind, like repeating phrases over and over and over. Uh, but there is some physical OCD, like when I leave for work in the morning, sometimes I have to check several times to make sure I turn my computer off. Mm. When it doesn't even matter, really, if I turn my computer off or not. Right. But I want it off, and I just I'll leave my room, and then I'll come back and I'll check again. I'll leave my room, I'll come back and check again. Uh, the medicine has helped some with that, but it doesn't help always. And can you logically tell yourself, like, it doesn't even matter, but you still I, go? Or Exactly. That's exactly how it works. I li- I'm like, come on. You know it's off, and it doesn't matter. And then there's just this part of yourself that can't stop sometimes, just right. can't stop to go back and check again. So those types of behaviors are you experiencing those on a regular daily basis oftentimes different things i probably have some symptoms on a daily basis whether it's a little anxiety or a little ocd yeah yeah there's some very good days where i i feel really good um like i said since i got on some a mood stabilizer life has gotten much better uh but yeah, there's probably a little something every, almost every day. Right. Not every day, but almost every day. So other than the medication, um, are there other ways you work at managing your mental health? Uh, it's going to sound a little cliche, some of it maybe, but I found uh, a little bit of kind of guided meditation is helpful. Um, and there's there are you know videos on YouTube you can watch and follow along with that are kind of helpful. Yeah. Uh, if I feel a little depression coming on, uh, going out to see friends or going for a walk uh, can kind of stave it off. Um, but as you know, there are times when nothing staves it off, where mm-hmm. nothing stops it. Yeah. Right. And you're a professor at a university, right? English professor. Yes. And has bipolar impacted your work life at all? Not really. I've always, like I said, I've always been high functional um, or highly functional. I think sometimes I think I have to work twice as hard um, because there are times you just don't feel like work or you don't feel like going to work or you need a mental health day, but you've got to do it anyway. So sometimes I feel like I'm working harder, mm-hmm. but since I've had this job, no. I, I don't think it's affected it, but I think in my youth, there were jobs I had that it affected, yeah. Right. So you don't have to worry about suddenly, you know, giving a lecture and all of the sudden a mania coming on or something like that. You would, does it come on slowly if it's going to happen? It's kind of slowly, yeah. Uh, sometimes you might just wake up in the middle of the night and you're kind of wow, you're kind of wired and like okay here's I've got a mania coming on. Uh, so usually I I know usually I know when the mania or depression is coming on. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, the medication I'm on now keeps me 
pretty stable yeah. as far as that goes. And can you remind me now, uh, and the listeners, bi- there's Bipolar 1 and Bipolar 2. Both have the depression and mania, but one of them has the heavier mania. Is that right? Basically, yeah. If you've had at least one delusional moment, uh, then you're Bipolar 1. Okay. That. So Bipolar 2 has just as... Um, Possibly just as debilitating depression, but manias that are not as um, severe. Yes. Okay. And you're bipolar too. Well, right now my doctor has me as unspecified bipolar disorder because I have had one delusional episode. Mm. And that was when I was on the Lexapro though. So that complicates it. Did I have it because of the medicine or did I have it because of the illness? Right. Um, Can you describe that mania when you were on the Lexapro? Oh, I, uh, in, there was probably six days that I slept maybe an hour for those six days. Uh, I was feeling really delusional, and I thought my wife was going to divorce me for no particular reason. And luckily, I had a moment of clarity where I realized something was going on, and I just, you're not supposed to do this, and I wouldn't recommend it, but I stopped at the Lexapro Code Turkey, mm. and... Those were those are some heck of some withdrawals. Yeah, when you just when you just stop at cold turkey like that. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's a good point that that <laughs> some people do it like you did, and and yeah. you felt it necessary at the time. But that is not something to do. I I think for any listeners out there, always to no, to I, know I to, to work with a doctor to to start weaning off any of those kind of meds. How about more? I just want to kind of dive deeply into what that mania is like, particularly for people who have never experienced a mania. So you said six days of an hour of sleep. Were you at home at this point for the six days? And, and what was your, what's going on in your body, in your head feelings? Uh, I was actually away from home at that time. I got a scholarship to go to school, um, out of state, but my daughters, I didn't want to move them um, so we were kind of me and my wife and my daughters were kind of living apart and I would drive, try to drive home every weekend or whatever. Uh, so what was going on in my head, it's hard to explain because it, the first couple days you're like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of energy. I'm not sleeping by the third day. Things start getting scary. The anxiety starts a little paranoia even sets in. And that that one, the the worst mania I ever had, then yeah, the delusional thoughts set in. And there's part of you that knows you're thinking unclearly, but there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Can you remember the delusional thoughts, what those were? Which was part of my problem of waiting so long to go to the doctor and actually get help is I felt like I'm smart. I can Mm. figure this out. I can handle it. I think that maybe a man thing. I don't know. Oh, I think for and, sure that's a man uh, thing. Well, I couldn't, but I couldn't. I couldn't handle it myself. Yeah. Do you remember some of those specific delusional thoughts? Any of my general thoughts? Uh, yeah, that maybe my wife would divorce me. Um, for for no reason did I really have that thought. There was there was nothing going on to suggest that. Uh, it was just fear. Hmm. I didn't have, well, I didn't have any much more delusional thoughts than that. Okay. I mean, that was the big one. I just, my mind just focused on it for some reason. Right. Um, 
And you must have been just running on pure adrenaline at that point, sleeping for an hour for six days. Oh, yeah. And I finally had to tell my uh, my favorite professor that I've, I've got to go home. Um, and I told him what was going on. He was like, take a week off. Yeah. Uh, he, he was very cool about it. And so that's when I, you know, stopped the Lexapro cold turkey. Right. Um, and like an idiot, I drove home uh, from out of state on hardly any sleep, which was probably not a good idea either. But I just needed to be home with my wife and family and get through it. Right. And you were able to share with your wife what was going on when you got home? Yeah. Yeah. I told her and... um you know, that I was taking this medicine and this is what happened. And she knew because I'd been, I had called her a couple times anyway. And, uh, she was worried and she was glad I came home and glad I stopped the medicine. And that's not to say anything about Lexapro. I have a, a friend who suffers from depre- depression and she says Lexapro saved her life. Right. It's just, it wasn't the medication for me. Yeah. It definitely, everybody's different, right? When it comes to those meds. And like you said, um, Lexapro is one that, that may be good for depression, but certainly not probably prescribed for bipolar had they known. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when it comes to managing your bipolar, do you utilize as an author, I would just imagine that writing is an outlet for you and one of your personal therapies. I'm wondering if it is. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, it's cathartic. Um, and Back when I was having more mood swings, it, sometimes it might have even been a little beneficial because you have – when you're too depressed, you're not going to write or you're not going to do anything. But you have these thoughts. You have these kind of dark thoughts. And then the mania comes and you have these kind of – all this energy and all these projects you want to do all of a sudden and you're like, I can do anything. And – so you would take those thoughts you had in depression and turn them into poems or a story or whatever. And it worked pretty well for a while. Mm. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't suggest it to, as a sustainable lifestyle though. Right. Right. I just know, uh, I've met a lot of guys who say they, they try to journal, um, a lot to help get their thoughts out of their head and yeah. that it's very helpful for many. I know I journaled through my major depression what about you just uh, pointed out something that struck me. You mentioned your, your mania comes along and you've got energy and stuff. I've heard some people say like the mania is almost a relief because if you've been in a deep, dark depression to feel so good can almost be like a relief. And I've heard some people who have bipolar say, you know, I won't kind of want to ta- stop taking my medicine when I'm going through a mania so that I can enjoy it. The mania can be almost addictive, right? Um, up to a point. If it goes on too long, it starts to get scary. Yeah. But the, but the first two or the first couple days of it are fun. Yeah, dangerously addictive, I would think. Like if you yeah. then then lose control just because you're enjoying it and feeling good after coming out of a deep dark place, um, I could see that. Yeah, you feel really good. You feel unstoppable. Right. So how often are you going through these swings? And I know you said it's managed now. Do you still feel the mood swings, but they're just much more managed, kind of like a lot lower of, of a high and uh, higher of a depression so that they're, it's in a, I don't know how to say it, a smaller zone of proximity, essentially? That's pretty much exactly right. I feel like 
I still, I feel like I still get depressed sometimes for no reason, and I still get a little up sometimes for no reason. But mostly my feelings are for these days, thank goodness. Um, I, if I feel sad, it's because I have a reason to feel sad. Mm. And if I feel happy, it's because I have a reason to feel happy, which is much different than feeling sad and not really having a reason for it, which can be confusing and mm. frustrating. And you can beat yourself up over it and just make yourself more sad. Right. You're like, why? Why am I so depressed? Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me about some of your writing. I know it, you've been published many times in many different places. Isn't that correct? That's correct. Uh, I think my writing has a tinge of sadness to it, but I try to cover it up with humor. Uh, humor is a very good tool for me for for just about any kind of thing I'm going through. I'm just, I don't know, one of those people I feel like if I can't laugh at it, then I'm losing. Right. And your books, are they most, is it primarily poetry? Yeah, mostly poetry. Uh-huh. I've written a novel and a collection of short stories, but in the last... Ten years, probably, I've written mostly poetry. Okay. You have some short stories published as well? Yes, yeah. Do those have a particular theme or genre? Uh, Literary fiction, but with a little bit of humor to them, mostly. Uh, There are a couple of them that are just (laughs) really depressing. Okay. But I mostly wrote back then when I felt more up. Okay. Because if you feel too down, it's it's, it's hard to do. Right. It's hard to do almost anything. And uh, did any of the characters in the short stories have a mental illness? They probably, not diagnosed. Uh, They probably showed symptoms of it because sometimes they were based on me. Right. So they certainly showed symptoms of it. And there were a lot of characters back then who were doing too much drinking or or whatever. Okay. Um, And what, uh, you have a book, I think if if I remember correctly, a, a book of poetry that is going to be published soon? Yeah, in September. Okay, coming up very soon. What's the title? Shit House Rat. Shit House Rat. <laughs> and yeah. and how, how did you come up with that title? Have you ever heard the saying "crazy as a shit house rat"? Okay. Or is that just a is that a midwestern southern thing? Well, no, I think I may have heard of it. It's well, not... it's a, it's a saying you know, that you hear around here a lot, and I just wanted to take that and own it instead of letting it be a derogatory, I guess. Right. Awesome. So it's a book of poems and is it just an eclectic mix? Do they follow a particular genre topic? It's a book of poems that leads up to the year uh, that, that follows the year before I got diagnosed as bipolar, when things just kind of kept getting worse and worse. Um, Which also happened to coincide with the craziest election year Uh. of all time. Right. And somehow, luckily, they turned out pretty good, even though my mental health health was getting worse. I was cycling kind of rapidly uh, at that point. And then, you know, that's when it got so bad. I felt like I have to go to the doctor now. But somehow, miraculously, they turned out OK. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Well, congratulations on uh, on your latest publication. Oh, well, thank you. And then I know that you uh, you do some podcasting as well. Yeah, me and my wife do a podcast called Sainsplaining where we just kind of, uh, oh, talk about mental health a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about whatever's in the news that week. Um, 
We'll read uh, some articles about what people have to say about mental health and discuss those. For example, uh, we discussed, we spent an episode talking about, did you see Sinead O'Connor's video that she made? No, I heard about it. I did not see it. Oh, yeah. And, well, she was talking about her her mental health and how there's such a stigma even for rich and famous people. Um, which is, I think is true. And we, we talked a little bit about that, how if someone with those kind of resources can feel helpless, then just imagine the people Mm. who don't have those kind of resources and how they feel or people who might not even be able to afford to go to the doctor. Right. Right. So some pretty powerful topics you go through. And at the same time, I know I I had the opportunity to listen to a few of them, a lot of humor, as you mentioned. We try to, we try, (laughs) we try to keep it light if we can. Yeah. So how did you come up with the name? Uh, you know, I have no idea. Uh, I'd heard the term mansplaining a lot, and I was like, well, you know, sane people try to explain things to non-sane people all the time. Like, hey, if you just exercised and fixed your diet, then you wouldn't be so depressed. Right, right. <laughs> Which, yeah, well- exercise and diet, I guess, are important, but that's not the cure-all for yeah. every depression. Yeah. yeah, it gets a little frustrating, right? Like, uh, just get off your butt, you know, or watch a funny movie. Um, yeah, and just, you know, people just get are, over it. People are, I guess, trying to do it from the say it from the kindness of their heart to give advice, but that in particular, just get over it, is certainly not. It doesn't feel a, like there's any kindness coming from a comment like no. that. <laughs> it's not helpful. No. <laughs> so how do you? <laughs> Oh, Even go ahead. Helpful comments like, well, just, you know, have you tried diet and exercise? Those are coming from a good place, but I, well, I've heard it enough. Yeah. And I feel like some of it is still also ignorance, right? Like this is an illness. Yeah. Right. You don't tell somebody to get over cancer by going out and do some jogging. Right? Yeah. So um, I think it, it makes not intentionally, but makes light of an illness that is very serious, very debilitating. And, Un, uh, you know, undiagnosed and untreated could certainly lead to death. Oh, yes, of course. Um, so yeah. what's it like uh, doing the podcast with your wife? It sounds like you guys have a blast every time. Oh, it's pretty fun. Uh, she's pretty funny. Uh, so uh, we enjoy it. We enjoy it. I don't know if other people enjoy it, but we, we enjoy it. Yeah. Well, and she seems, uh, she seems like a great person. She seems like she gives you a, a lot of uh, grief in a good way. In a good way, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she'll give you a hard time, and yeah, it just it seems like you guys have an awesome relationship, and clearly she's been there to support you through, through your uh, you know new diagnosis of bipolar and and everything else. I think so, and I think her training uh, ha- has a lot to do with that, but mostly it's just her natural empathy and compassion. Yeah, I couldn't have lived with me for some of those years, that's for sure. Right, but but she managed to somehow. Yeah. Does she get any kind of support? Uh, what do you mean? So I went through a major depression that was probably four to six months. And when I finally came out of that major depression, I looked back and thought about the things I had said to my wife. And I realized that she, there, it would be very possible that she would be going through PTSD from what I put her through and being essentially checked out for six months and her taking care of four little kids and me talking about suicide and me going through crying bouts and her not help knowing how to help that when I finally got on the, when I was 
really starting to get much better. I said, you know, you, you really should see a therapist to talk about this stuff. So she reached out to a good friend of hers who had a, um, been seeing a therapist that she just loved. So my wife uh, started seeing her. Oh, wow. And, and that was a great thing for her. And I think it helped that I invited my wife to probably two or three of my talk therapy sessions. And she would leave those things going, hey, that wasn't so bad. That was kind of fun. Oh, <laughs> so, cool. so she definitely, you know, had a good experience going with me and was very open minded about it. And I think it was really helpful for her. And I just think a lot of times people who are kind of in that caretaker role and I don't know what it's like for your wife and. I don't know how much caretaking she needs to do, but it certainly sounds like she helps manage it, which in a way is some caretaking. Um, yeah. So it's uh, interesting. And then, and also, you know, being in the, in that field and dealing with families who may be going through trauma all the time and kids with different disabilities and stuff, I would just want to make sure she's taking care of herself while she helps uh, support you. She does. And she has a very supportive, uh, close tight knit family. Uh, the ironic thing is, uh, and maybe this is why she's always been so understanding with me, is that uh, bipolar disorder runs in her family. It doesn't run in mine. Oh, my I goodness. I was just the lucky one. That <laughs> so. is funny. Wow. That's interesting. So she has had experience with people going through bipolar. Yes. Living with bipolar. Okay, yeah, that probably helped. She probably knew a little bit of what to expect then. How long have you been doing the podcast for? Uh... 33 weeks. Okay. I just know because that was the last episode we had was number 33. And you're publishing them every week. Once yeah, we try to we try to do one a week. Uh-huh. Uh, we Sometimes we miss, but... Yeah. And do you have a favorite episode? You know, our highest... Our episode that got the most viewers was the first one for whatever reason. And that one's pretty funny. I like that one a lot. But my favorite episode was probably with James Gutman, uh, who runs a who used to run a wrestle a professional wrestling website, and he wrote a little bit for a couple wrestling promotions. So he has a lot of behind. And I used to be I'm not so much anymore. I used to be a huge professional wrestling fan. Okay. But he had all kinds of behind the scenes stories about these wrestlers, and it was just it was fascinating to me. Um, but I used to write a little bit for his website. That's how I was able to get him on the podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you find your guests, because it seems like uh, quite a mix, quite a variety. And sometimes you'll have more than one guest on at a time. Yeah, some of them are just friends of mine or people I work with that I, that I think are interesting. Uh, and then sometimes I'll reach out to a poet or someone on Facebook and say, hey, you want to be on the show? And then usually they say yes, because writers like to talk about themselves. Right. right. <laughs> that is funny. Any other favorite guests that you had on? Uh, Rebecca Shumedja was a was a fun one because, um, you know, one of the questions I ask my guests uh, all the time is, how is your mental health? Um, because supposedly the show is supposed to be about mental health when you we usually do cover part of the show about that, but sometimes not always. So I do like to make sure we're at least tu- that's at least a touchstone. And she's like, oh, it's good. I'm great, which I know better. I've been friends with her for years, and I know she suffers from depression. Right. And she was just pulling my leg. And that, to me, that was hilarious because I was like trying to get something out of her that I know is true, and she knows it's true, and she's not ashamed to say it. So I'm okay. not calling her out here or, or anything. That's what she I was, was going to ask you about. <laughs> okay. And I thought it was hilarious. 
Okay. She was like, no, I'm totally sane. So she's open about her depression, just didn't bring it up in the show. Yeah, no, yeah, she was just messing with me. That, totally. is, that is funny. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, you know, when I was listening to your show, uh, your show, your podcast is public, and mm-hmm. wondering as a professor at a university, <laughs> do you know where I'm going with this question? Uh, kind of, <laughs> but keep going. So I'm just wondering if there's... Uh, if you ever have concerns, like, so I don't know if the dean or the head of the uh, English department comes upon your podcast, is there anything in there that might compromise your position? I don't think there's anything that would compromise my position position at this time, but I do worry about them just finding out that I'm bipolar sometimes because... I don't know. I read this article the other day about how bipolar people are always worried about job insecurity. And then I read this comment from this lady. She, she, and she said, I taught at a college for 20 years and did great. And as soon as they found out I was bipolar, they forced me out. And I was like, I started thinking, could that happen to me? So I do worry about that. Yeah, because there is such a stigma around it. Um, and even in a, in a, job like this where people are supposed to be well read and smart and there's still a stigma. I mean, yeah. there really is. Yeah, I think you're right. So, and you don't hide the bipolar piece in your podcast though, right? This isn't the first time uh, in an interview that you've mentioned bipolar. Oh no, I don't hide <laughs> okay. it at all. Okay. In fact, it was the entire I didn't, I didn't want to be the one to get you in trouble. Uh, <laughs> okay. Wow. That's so that's interesting. I think, I don't remember what it was in particular, but some of the podcasting, I was just wondering like, huh, an English professor and uh, some of the humor, some of the language maybe. And I love it. I mean, it's very funny and you do something really unique that I haven't seen in any podcast, which is random photos, maybe not always random. Some seemed random to me that pop up throughout the podcast. Yeah, it was the, that was an accident. It was the only way I could figure out how to do it. <laughs> that is <laughs> let's, funny. Let's do one of those iMovie things and just upload it to YouTube. Okay. And, uh, that yeah. is funny. And the easiest way for me to see your podcast, which by the way, we should share with people how they can get there. But for me, it was easiest to find it in iTunes. When, yeah. I, when I went to the website, I could only see like four episodes that were up on screen and I couldn't find a list of them or anything. And maybe yeah, that was the, just me. The website's a bit of a mess. It's uh, okay. when I, okay. I didn't know a lot of what, when I started, I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. So I okay. got this website and this template and it said for videos and I thought, okay, this one will work, but it will only let you show like four videos at a time. Okay. So I wasn't um, crazy. Okay. And so they... I try to put the newer ones up and <laughs> okay, then just okay. hope that people find the older ones that... uh, on their own, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. I thought that was just me. Maybe you were in one of your uh, hypomanias when you were creating that thing. Oh, no, so... I was. I, I definitely was. <laughs> yeah, because there were only four there and they didn't seem to be in any particular order. One or two seemed fairly old. So then I decided to go to iTunes to see if they were on there. And I went, and maybe this is probably the easiest way for our listeners to find your podcast. So I will just share with them a much better way than going to your screwed up website. <laughs> yeah, forget just, that website, Just man. kidding, Dan. Just kidding, Dan. <laughs> no, but, uh, but if they go to iTunes and type in the search in the store for Sane's Planing, 
S A N E S P L A I N I N G. Um, and they'll find your podcast right there and all 33 episodes pull up right away, just like any other iTunes. And I think you still get those, those random photos and stuff, which I thought oh, was, well, I think, oh. I, I think I did. I can't say for sure if they came up in the iTunes, but it took me forever to figure out how to get that, those to upload on iTunes. Yeah. That's... I, uh, I did all kinds of research. I'm not that technologically advanced, so I had to do a lot of research. And finally, I figured out how to do an RSS feed and get it uploaded. Yeah. Sweet. But it took a lot of research. Well, it's great on the iTunes site, and it's all listed in order, really easy to find. Hey, I want to come back to the topic just briefly about, so you're not concerned about anybody from work finding out about the podcast, hearing the podcast, but the bipolar in particular. Is there anything you've thought about like what you could do to almost prepare for somebody at the university to, to, to come to the realization that you do have bipolar disorder and to be prepared for that kind of conversation or even speak to somebody about job protection. I don't remember, recall if professors are part of a union. You are, right? Or, well, or there's tenure. We're not exactly part of a union, but yeah. we do get tenure. Right. Um, but tenure is not as powerful as it used to be. Now, now all it means really, at least here in Missouri, is that if we fire you, we've got to have a reason for it. And that reason can be anything, though. Well, it cannot uh, be that, mental illness, right? I mean, isn't that one of the protected? I would imagine that's protected. See, I'm not sure if it is in Missouri. Yeah, um, that would be interesting to look into and to find out just to, so you would know. And I guess, you know... I don't know, maybe if it came to a point where you were missing a ton of work because of it or something, maybe they would have cause, I guess. But if you're yeah. plugging away at your job and you're not doing, you know, and you're doing fine, boy, that would be that would be really awful yeah. if, uh, if it no. came to that. And, and you're right, like the stigma, right? And then you have to worry about it. But you certainly are. I mean, you're out public with it, so you're not. You're not doing a very good job of hiding it if you're trying to hide it, Dan. Let's just put it that way. I, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to hide it at all. I, I feel like if I was at a job where they would fire me, because my all my eval evaluations are great, I do a good job. Yeah. Um, and I figure if they would fire me for being bipolar, then that's not the kind of place I'd want to work for yeah, anyway. Yeah, that is a really good way to put it. It's interesting. So I work in the public school education. And I'm a, an assistant principal, and I work in a large uh, urban district, St. Paul Public Schools. And this, um, just like last, last week, I think it was, I spoke in front of all of our principals, assistant principals, um, the assistant soups were there, and shared um, my story of my major depression. And then went, oh, wow. from, went from there to talk about depression. Uh, symptoms of depression, talked about self-care, talked about taking care of others, particularly staff members as a, a group of administrators, talked a little bit about destigmatizing mental illness. And uh, yeah, and it was it was pretty incredible. And I think it was the first time anybody in our district had stood up and, and done that. So was it was um, it scary for you? Because it would be that would be that would scare me. Yeah. So it's interesting. You know, I think because I had shared my story a lot through NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, who I volunteer for giving um, presentations. Uh, I do their anti-stigma talks and something called In Our Own Voice, where you go with a co-facilitator 
and watch a video where people describe their story in four different parts. And we also, we stop after each part and share our own situation and story. So I think because I had shared it a lot, I, it wasn't too bad. I mean, yeah, it, it, I was a little surprised at how, how I, not nervous I actually ended up being. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, and now I just applied to the Minnesota Association of Elementary Principals um, for their February conference to see if they'll let me uh, give the same talk there. So we'll see. Um, so that's kind of what I'm trying to do to help destigmatize it and stuff. And I'm not advocating for you to go speak at your university, but, <laughs> but man, it would be good if people did, right? Like if we were yeah. able to open up about it and share it and talk about it, like how powerful would that be? I think that's amazing what you did because, like I said, it would scare the heck out of me. And, like, when I do the podcast, it's almost like we're just talking into the ether. Right, <laughs> and, right. You know, me, me and Margaret. And But to stand up in front of my peers and talk about it would be much more difficult, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe the, uh, if you were interested, you could reach out to NAMI, see if there's a National Alliance of Mental Illness, NAI. N-A-M-I in your area. They have a lot of local affiliates and yeah. start small and, you know, maybe see if you can help present there. I think it would be really cool. And they try to pair people up when they share their own story with different backgrounds, different mental illnesses. So it's pretty cool. Oh, that does sound cool. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm very familiar with organization. I should look into that. Yeah. Yeah. You might really enjoy see, it yeah, locally. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Do you have any, uh, any final tip, suggestion, advice, or like words of hope for our listeners? If anybody listening is going through depression or living with bipolar, uh, my best advice would be to don't let your pride get in the way of getting help. Right. If you feel like you need to get help, go see a professional and, and get some. Yeah, because it, that's what stopped me for so long was just thinking I could handle it myself when sometimes things are just out of our control. Yeah. I think that is really a male thing, something that a lot of men go through. And I think you're right. Reach out for the help, reach out for the support and know that yeah. it can get better, right? Yes, it can get better. If you take that step of getting help. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, I am going to continue uh, to listen to Sane's planning and oh, okay. uh, and I'm going to try to get my hands on some of your books. Tell us again the title that's coming out in September. Shithouse Rat. <laughs> All right. Looking forward to Which, it. I had some trepidation about that title, but in the end, I went with it. That's getting published that way now, so no <laughs> looking back at this point. No looking back, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time, Dan. Uh, hey, keep up the good work, uh, keep up the podcast and all your writing, and good luck to you. Keep in touch. Oh, thank you. And stay healthy. I plan on it. Thank you for listening to The Depression Files. If you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the United States, you can text 741-741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can go to suicide.org for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you enjoyed the show, please hit the like button. In addition, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files. <laughs>